Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. It is going to be a fun one today. Someone that has come highly requested from you guys. You might know her from her book, Swing. We are going to have a fun Girl Talk episode all about monogamy, non-monogamy, swinging, and a wild fucking FML story of hers. Sit back, grab a fucking cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter six. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Okay, everybody, this is a fun fucking episode today. I'm excited. Ashley Renard is the author of the book Swing. I know a lot of you have read it because whenever I say, who should I bring on to FML Talk? Her name comes up a lot in my DMs and we have finally linked up. She is also the creator of How to Keep Monogamy Hot video series and the After Dark workshops to help open up communication in and outside of the bedroom. Her story is freaking wild, you guys. I absolutely had such a great time chatting with her. So let's just let's just get right into it. Let's just hop into the episode. Here we go. Ashley Renard, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, Gabrielle, I'm so glad to be chatting with you. I have been hearing your name in lieu with your book from my readers, from my listeners. People have wanted to have you on. So I'm thrilled that we're able to make that happen. For people that don't know you and the book, can you give us a little bit of a background on that? Yeah. So I'm not surprised that some of your listeners and readers had my book on their radar as well. It has our books have similar themes, definitely. So with me, I was married for 10 years, three kids. And I took doing it all as a perfectionist mom to the next level as the world's worst attempted swinger. So <laughs> I <laughs> I started, had this lovely looking life that I kind of fucked up from the inside. But as your listeners know, the things we do on the outside are often like a lag to let us know that there's something going on on the inside that's not really in alignment or in integrity for us. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I grew up in figure skating. Uh, I was first put in skates when I was two and a half years old. And I took that striving for the highest level of difficulty, that quest for perfection into marriage and motherhood. So I was home birthing, homesteading, homeschooling on purpose before pandemic. 
And I just tripled the size of my business. And I was looking around, wanting more, wanting, you know, you and I both know, wanting to actually feel more on the inside. But instead, I was reaching for things outside of me. And I was thinking, okay, what's the next hardest level of difficulty? What is the next challenge? And I thought, oh, non-monogamy. Like that sounds evolved and challenging. So even more than it being something that we were looking to get into for the rush and for the fun, I really thought, oh, wow, like we're both people who don't have a lot of jealousy naturally and stretching in this way actually felt like like a more evolved or expansive choice for us. Mm, That's really interesting. Mm. We've had people on the show that have talked about ethical non-monogamy in a way that really worked for them. So you guys were married for 10 years before the non-monogamy conversation got brought up. Yeah. Well, it came up a bit when we were first dating in the way where you talk about, hey, what are your boundaries? What would cheating be for you? You know, and my husband said something really interesting back then when we first met right out of college. And he said, listen, if you cheated on me, that would actually tell me more about you than me, that like you wanted something different. And I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it instead of getting, you know, defensive or angry, but really taking it as a sign that, oh, they want something different than what I can provide and him not really taking it personally. So right. we had those conversations um, around not being jealous and, you know, maybe we would do something kind of outside the mainstream, but we really fell into grown up regular life, you know, one foot in front of the other, really playing at adulthood. And before we knew it, you know, we had three children we were deep, deep into our careers and sex was always something that worked for us. Like we had a chemistry in the bedroom. We were both athletes. So we knew what we liked. So there was never anything lacking there. But outside the bedroom, we really were like co-parents, business partners. The only place intimacy or emotional connection happened was in the bedroom. Hmm. Being a high achiever, being, you know, firstborn type A, I really have an aversion and I've been working on this for years for really standing my ground for something that I want if I ask the first time and then I don't get it. Mm. Especially if it's something I need from someone else and something I can't just go do myself. So for years in our marriage, I was just sweeping things under the rug, things that I really wanted as far as connection that I wanted as far as communication. And I was just reaching outside myself, just, you know, diving into work, upping the ante with my own expectations for myself as a mother, just trying to feel filled up in a way that I felt I had some control over rather than really sinking into that feeling of being in a relationship and not having your needs met by the other person in a way you really long to have them met. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting because normally it's flip-flopped. Normally it's like, okay, well, we're great and we love each other and it's, but like in the bedroom, it's not enough or the sex isn't happening as much as one partner or the other would like it to. So that's interesting that it was flip-flopped. It would seem like the the other aspect of it, like the connection and being like friends and loving and kissing outside of that would be so much easier to kind of like do a quick fix on. 
I know. And you know what I think? That I think it kept us in bad patterns in our marriage longer because the sex was good in the bedroom. Right, right. My husband grew up in a traditional Greek Orthodox home. So in his mind, sex was really just to make babies. And like most people didn't continue to have that spark and that attraction for each other physically further on in their marriage. So I think he thought if we're having regular sex, we're already like winning at marriage, you know, like we're, you know, the top percentile of connection in marriages. And I would continue to initiate sex through our relationship, even when I wasn't happy, because that was the only way I knew how to get connection from him. Mm, yeah. And I think a lot of women feel that way too. That's not, I'm, that's not the first time I've heard that yeah. where you're like, okay, I'm going to initiate intimacy because it's the only way I feel like that with my ex Javier who dumped me before the Europe trip. Like I feel like I became so obsessed with our sex and the way that we had it, because that was the only time that I felt that like obsessive connection from him. Oh, yes, I hear you. And you feel like desired and wanted and needed and really like they're pulling you towards them, right? Yeah. And so I had that in the bedroom, but then I had three kids who were pulling at me with their with their needs. And then a husband who was just, you know, really the equivalent of like a really kind roommate outside the bedroom. You know, or a really great neighbor <laughs> who would babysit my kids. Um, you know, and right. you know, change my flat tire or something. It was really so like just really like on just friendly terms, but nothing, the emotional connection that I wanted. And I felt so much shame for wanting more than I had when I'm looking around and I think, wow, I have three healthy kids, I have thriving business, like I have a lovely looking life. And I just felt like a piece of shit for Mm. not being grateful enough and not feeling happy enough. And even I wasn't ready to admit that to myself until we got into the lifestyle and I started getting attention from other men. And I say I'm the world's worst (laughs) attempted swinger because like I couldn't (laughs) even get the job done, Gabrielle. (laughs) Someone recently called me the world's best failed swinger. I was like, oh, actually, I like that. I'll take it. I'll take it. Best failed swinger. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah. But when I started getting attention from other men, just like, you're you're funny, you're, you're beautiful. I was like, Oh, my gosh, there's this part of me that I've had closed Mm -hmm. up so tight for so long. That is coming alive. And I don't know if I can unfeel what I just felt like I really wanted more. And I felt really embarrassed that I needed more from my husband than what I was getting. And, but also I realized, wow, if I have ignored this need of mine for so long. Yeah. Which is such a basic human need. Like if you're in a relationship, I want to feel like loved and wanted and, you know, cared about. And that connection is so vitally important, sometimes more so than the sex, I would say. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. 
They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So when you guys were like, okay, let's give the non-monogamy a shot, like how did that go? Like the decision to do that, was it like, let's go to a sex party? Let's just go flirt with people at a bar? Like walk me through what that looked like. Yeah. Okay. So we just Googled like swing (laughs) lifestyle. (laughs) We just Googled. How do we do? How do we become swingers? Exactly. Exactly. And then I also, I love learning about new industries and subcultures. So I went down a rabbit hole with like full socks, full swap, soft swap, like separate rooms, same rooms. I was like, okay, this is the whole menu of things that are available in the swing lifestyle. So we started by just going to a club down in Philadelphia by where we live. And the atmosphere is electric. It is so hot. I've had people ask me in book club discussions, like, well, it's not as hot as like eyes wide shut, is it? Do you remember that movie with Tom oh, yeah. Cruise and Nicole Kidman? In real life, it's way hotter than that. Like it's mm. way hotter. And so what we did the first couple of times, was we just went and, you know, the people are having sex like, you know, out in the open and there are private rooms with like little curtains that people can leave open or they can leave the door open. And then we just went to a private room by ourselves and had like incredible sex. Just the two of you? Just the two of us. And, but I wanted that curtain open a little because, you know, as a performer, (laughs) a figure skater, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I guess I'm a bit of an exhibitionist too, but I didn't realize until this moment. And then we drove home and we were like ripping each other's clothes off in the driveway. And then like we had this incredible sex, like multiple times a day for three days. And I mean, that was not the usual with being parents of three little kids. Right. Right. So my husband would have been fine, I think, going to the clubs like once every month or two months. But for me, I felt this like part of me like awakening like this wow this desire that I don't feel shame for because growing up especially as an athlete in figure skating you know a sport where you can't even look tired or sweaty right. I judged my own success every day by how effectively I could ignore what my body was telling me mm. and how effectively I could ignore my mind trying to convince me that I'd done enough for that day So having this desire for this sexual excitement, it was actually, it's counterintuitive because some people would think, well, wow, that like is so taboo. It's so risque. But I had put such tight limits on any need or desire my body had from such a young age that that actually felt like a safe place for me to expand into, wow, what do I really want? What would I really Mm. ask for? 
So right away, I thought, wow, okay, I want to stay safe in this situation, right? I don't want to end up tied up in someone's basement or, and this was before COVID. This was before COVID even. So I was like, I don't want to get a cold sore. I don't want to get it. Like, I want to know who we are hooking up with if we are going to have encounters with other people. So basically there's like Tinder apps for swingers. So I got on that, (laughs) put some photos up. Oh my God. All of a sudden, like ding, 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 like the notifications start coming in. Like people get notifications that there's a new couple in the area on the app. And I have to tell you, there are swingers everywhere. Every single club we've been to, there are, it's packed hundreds and hundreds of people. That's so wild. It is wild. And it's like just a regular cross section of humanity. Like the people you would see like at the grocery store or the library or, you know, a regular club. And all these invitations started coming in. And I was so nervous, you know, inviting us to like, you know, go down to Atlantic City for the night or uh, a nudist resort in the Pocono Mountains. Oh, my God. Stop. (sighs) So many. But I was I was so nervous until this one couple came up and they had four little kids and they just seemed like a couple that sort of was balanced, like with responsibilities the same way we were. And it's interesting when you're looking at an app for you and your husband to date a couple together. Like, actually, I was looking at the woman more than I was even looking at the man, thinking Mm. like, oh, would he be attracted to her? Right? Right. And I thought that he would. And the guy was attractive to me. And so we met up for dinner at a restaurant, like a local brewery, right? And we were so nervous going in. I thought like, oh, my God, when we say we're meeting another couple, are they going to like put us in the swinger section? Like, uh-huh. no, like it's gonna be so obvious. You're like, there's a red flashing sign above my head. Everybody's like, there's an announcement over the PA that's like, they're here to swing, everybody. This is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's arrows over her head, not her husband. She wants that sex. <laughs> anyway, I hadn't even met him yet. I hadn't even met him. But when they came in, we, you know, it was like awkward for like two seconds. And then the really cool thing about swingers and attempted swingers is everybody lays everything out on the table right away. Mm. And I love that. I love going, going deep in conversation when I first meet someone. So people would say, oh, yeah, like, this is what our marriage is like. Oh, were we with anyone before we were married? How long have we been in the lifestyle? These are the things. These are like the sexual like fears and things that I the lifestyle helps me get over, like really just dumping it all out, which you can't get better than that. Right. Like if everybody did that on like normal dates, we'd probably get a lot farther in our lives. (laughs) Right. So that was really, that really pulled me into just that connection right away. And just that, that willingness to trust, even from, you know, the wife of the couple who we were dating, her name's Jess, you know, just the trust and like the really the goodwill to like want to be my friend, even though like, maybe I'd be making out with her husband later. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just this interesting dynamic of intimacy and trust. And right away, Jess let me know that Brad, her husband, was totally smitten with me. Like, totally. She said, like, I haven't seen him like this for anybody before. And they had dated other people. And that, like, really surprised me. I was like, you know, he doesn't really even know me. And at this point, Gabrielle, like, I'd been running my skating organization for almost 15 years. I've been with my husband so long. All my friends who were in my life I'd known for a long time. So to have someone new go, Oh my God, you're amazing. Mm -hmm. Right after we met, it was intoxicating. It was intoxicating because it had been a really long time since I 
thought I was really amazing at anything. It was quite the contrary. Like I felt like I had too many full-time jobs and I was kind of sucking at all of them. Like I felt like, okay, I wish I could spend more time with my kids. I wish I was doing a better job running my business. Like, you know, really feeling inadequate. And then for someone to go, oh my God, you're incredible. I was like, it was like crack for me. Yeah. Say less, say less. (laughs) Right. And then, so we we started seeing them and like, we had some physical interaction, like just kissing and, and hanging out, just getting to know each other. And then he and I start texting each other separately from the group chat because their rule had always been that they only text like in the foursome in the group chat. Mm -hmm. But then when he met me, he started changing all of the rules. Uh And so she was like, okay, what's going on here? He was never okay with this. And then he and I start messaging like hundreds of times a day. Right. Uh, Like that was like my next full-time job. Like just being a texting uh, girlfriend, like all day. Right. (laughs) And I felt intoxicated and intoxicating at the same time. It was like, so it was so incredible to feel that feeling of, Oh, I just write this sexy text. And then he's like, Oh my God, I'm dying. Or he he would text me in the morning. Hey, sunshine. I couldn't wait for you to text me. It's like 9 a.m. I'm still thinking about that funny thing you said yesterday. So like, these were the things that made me like melt, like, oh my God. And then start thinking, oh, maybe I've always needed more affection in my marriage than what I had. And this is the reason why I have a hard time keeping my patience with my kids. This is why I get stressed at work. This is why, this is why, like looking at all of these things and then thinking, wow, but I don't know if my husband can give that to me. Like mm-hmm. I, he, he's never really had that side of him. So then thinking, okay, yeah, maybe I'm just wired for non-monogamy and maybe he is too. Maybe this is the way that we can actually be happy and also keep our family unit together, like not mm-hmm. rock the boat too much. Right. But then it became really clear that my husband, Manny, and Jess, they weren't interested in each other. They were just going along with this for the two of us, for Brad and I, mm. because they had other things they were trying to compensate for, which comes out in the book. Mm-hmm. And just it's such thousands of monogamous couples have read Swing Together. And what they come back to me and say is, we could relate so strongly to that, even though we've never dabbled in non-monogamy, just because there are so many instances where we compromise what we really want Mm. because we think we owe it to our partner or we hope that then it goes in our favor the next time. So we get to this point where I'm realizing that the foundation that I thought we had in our marriage, you know, getting along so well and everything, it was really a house of cards. The reason why we had a harmonious marriage outside the bedroom and we were able to have great sex in the bedroom is because we just ignored every conflict that we should have worked out from the very mm. beginning. It was almost right? like you guys like, were having like, hate me, like makeup sex because all this shit was being swept under the rug. And then when you got into the bedroom, you're like, we're just going to fuck it out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. I never thought about it that way. I'm going to have to ask him though, if he relates to that too. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I don't know. I think for both of us, we felt like that was the only place we could be our real selves was in the bedroom mm. together. And the only yeah. place we could say, this is what I want, please. You know, could you do this for me? Right. Um, because we were both hyper independent in different ways outside the bedroom. 
and not wanting to be a burden on each other outside the bedroom, not knowing that when you're in love, it's not a burden to take care of the other person. Mm -hmm. It's not a burden to have needs. But I had always thought those parts of me that were needy, that were tender, that I couldn't take care of myself were really childish and unsavory Mm -hmm. and made me completely unlovable. Like I really tried to hide those things Mm -hmm. from the time I was so young, like trying to be independent and not being a burden for my parents and just... You know, I'd never seen the Stepford Wives, but I think when I was seven, Gabrielle, I just decided I was going to be like a Stepford child, like Mm. that I would just take care of everything myself, like, you know, don't need anything from anybody. But with our misadventures, take (laughs) a word from you, in the lifestyle, I realized that I really maybe had no fucking clue about what made me happy or what I needed. And it was so heartbreaking to feel myself falling in love with another man and to really clearly get the signs from my husband that he didn't really care. Like it didn't really Um, bother him. Yeah. That when we were at that point, I thought, wow, okay, there's no way I can keep this going. And I don't even know if I can keep this marriage going anymore. All I know is that I need more love than I have been willing to admit. Yeah. And even though it's so scary, and even though I don't know if I'm lovable enough for anybody to ever really give it to me. I am going to just take a stand for, wow, I really need more. I really need more than what I've been getting. Yeah. So we broke things off with that other couple in kind of a dramatic fashion. And I tried to work on my marriage and my husband wasn't really very interested in Mm. doing much of anything. So I would just sit in meditation every day, like half begging, half half meditating (laughs) and just ask like, what do I need to feel better? What do I need to feel more like myself? Like I started getting sick. I started like all of these things that I pushed down for so long just started to come to the surface, like including like two different kinds of cancer, like really just my body that had been so strong and so reliable for me. You know, I could be on the ice for a hundred hours over two weeks and have more energy at the end than the beginning. All of a sudden wasn't holding up anymore. Mm. So I asked like, what do I need? What do I need to feel better, to be more like myself, to just be healthy again? And what I heard was you need someone who loves you better. And I thought, okay, does that mean like I get a divorce? Does that mean like I try again with a boyfriend on the side. Like, what is that? What does that mean? And it was like Mm -hmm. silence, fucking silence. So, but every day I came back to meditation and every day I didn't get any more, any more clarity until probably six months or a year later. And I'm sitting there and I hear you need someone who loves you better. And I'm like, yeah, I heard you the first hundred fucking times. Thank you. Like what else? Mm -hmm. And then I heard, and it's you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that is probably the thing that I swore off the earliest and the most strongly was giving myself any tenderness or compassion because I thought it was pushing myself that would make Mm. me a better athlete. I thought it was holding that bar higher for me that would make me a better student, a better, better daughter, a better sister, all of those things that a better coach, like, I thought that it was like disciplining myself into being the person I wanted to be was how I would get there. Yeah. So I started writing myself love letters that day. Every day, writing love letters to myself, from myself, to myself, 
from Manny, to myself from my kids, to myself from a coworker who was being a pain in the ass, to myself from people from my past who I had no contact with anymore. But when I would remember an embarrassing or shameful experience where I said the wrong thing and then they laughed or, you know, when you're a little kid and like, sometimes you're so embarrassed that you think, wow, like I should, I should just never speak again. Like that's it. Zip, zip. It's just too dangerous because the way you can just feel so embarrassed. I started writing myself all those letters and I want your listeners to know some listeners go, wow, wow. Oh yes, yes, yes. I want to do that. And some people are like, wait a minute. So you're saying like gaslight yourself and just like convince yourself that your husband is a man who he's not. It wasn't self-gaslighting. What it was, was a radical recalibration of what I needed and what I deserved. Mm. I'm giving it to myself over and over day after day. Then actually shifted how I was aligned, actually shifted how I moved in the world, actually shifted the way I looked at my marriage and the way I had always thought, well, you know, even though I'm secretly unhappy, I could never leave because of the kids. You know, he's a nice enough guy. He's a hands-on dad. You know, like I couldn't because of the kids, because of the kids. And then what I started to realize was, okay, why do we leave it up to the kids of every generation to like basically reinvent the wheel for how to have a healthy relationship? Oh my God. Amen, girl. Right? What if the very best thing I could do for my kids is say, you know what? Daddy and I are good at a lot of things, but we could never figure out how to have a really loving marriage. And we want that for you guys. We want that for you as grownups to have relationships that are just so fulfilling and such a compliment to you. And we don't want you thinking this relationship you're seeing playing out in front of you where your parents barely talk, you never see them have like conversations of substance, you don't see very much affection, nothing. I don't want you to think that that is the gold standard for adult intimate partnerships. Mm. That is not it. So I went to my husband and I said, listen, I think maybe we've gone as far as we can with this. Like we did so many things really well. Like we had a house and an investment property and we had no mortgage. And, you know, our kids were well-behaved in public. You know, they use coasters, Gabrielle. They fucking have manners. Like, I was like, we did some good things. We did some things right. But this, this isn't good enough. And I want our kids to know that there's something better out there. And maybe someday we'll learn it from them, like how yeah. to do it. And I was feeling terrified and so excited because I thought, wow, this is going to be like a big blow to my ego, like taking an L on the marriage. Mm -hmm. And just going our separate ways, mm -hmm. um, especially since like I hated not getting things right. I yeah. hated oh, girl, not for talking to the choir. I've been there. <laughs> right. So I thought, wow, this is going to be the biggest. This could be my biggest spiritual step doing this thing that my ego is like kicking and screaming and saying, no, never do that. And so I told Manny this and then I turned around walking out of the kitchen because I this is the way our conversations usually would go. I would just say a bunch of things and then like finish off quickly and then walk away because normally he would have no response. And standing there with the silence in front of me was just too uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. I would just like exit stage left. Yeah. And the asshole starts crying, Gabrielle. <laughs> how dare he? <sighs> how dare he? We'd had three babies. We'd had two <clears throat> weddings. He'd never cried before. I was like, <laughs> what Done. are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? What is this shit falling I, from your eyes, dude? <laughs> right? It's like Seinfeld. Like, what is this salty discharge? <laughs> right? And he goes, 
babe, you and the boys, it's, it's all I've ever wanted. And I'm like, what are you even saying? It was like all of a sudden my voice was unmuted. And I have this joke that's like really not funny. I say that him growing up in a Greek Orthodox household, he was trained his whole life to ignore the sound of a woman's voice. Mm. Not funny, very painful to be a woman who's trying to speak to a man who was in right. this kind of paradigm. But I think in that moment, and I didn't realize this at the time, it was just really irritating, but he actually started walking the walk. And I was like, okay, this is going to last like two days. And then it was like two weeks and it was two months. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Right. Because I like begged and pleaded at other times for him to be more affectionate or like kiss me when he would come home or leave or like say, I love you. Like Gabrielle, seriously, we were at a point in our marriage where for probably five or 10 years, I had said, I love you. And he would say, good night. Like, who does that? Yeah. Sorry, people probably didn't, like obviously can't see my reaction to that, but like what? <laughs> right. That's yeah. where we had been. And I was like, oh, no, no. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like convincing myself that I was fine with that for so long. Right, right. So when I actually realized, wow, I need more. I need to exit. I need to go. Even if I don't find that with someone else, I want to just say to myself, no, no, no. A romantic relationship gets to feel different than that. Even yeah. if I don't find it, it just gets to feel different. Just opening up that possibility and that permission. Yeah. Well, I think in that moment, what happened was his fear of being vulnerable became smaller than his fear of not having his family in the shape mm. that he had imagined, that he had always yeah. imagined it would be in. And really taken for, he had he'd taken it for granted that, right. oh, I married someone, we get along well enough, you know, we don't fight, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get this family forever. And when I turned the tables and I was like, no, you don't actually. And we have the bars that's so high in so many areas of our lives, like in our business and in our friendships with, you know, our personal friendships, all of those things. But here in our marriage, it's like in the shitter and I'm not mm -hmm. doing that anymore. And he just kept raising the bar himself. He just kept elevating, elevating. And I was really, and I truly believe this, that there's not a right or wrong. I don't think like, oh, yay, we won because like we stayed together. But because I really, you know, I had to let my ego drop that idea that like one was better than the other. Right. But I am really glad that we stayed together because now the way that we're actually able to love and support each other with like 20 years of history behind mm -hmm. us and really knowing each other. And like basically growing up together, we met when we were 21 and 22, right out yeah. of college. 11 months later, we had our first mortgage together. Like we were really, you know, we really have gone through it together. And people will say, so is it like, you know, is your relationship great? Like when you were dating now? And I'm like, oh my God, no, it's way better than that. Mm, it's yeah. way better because I can communicate my needs in a way that I never could then because I never... I honestly didn't want to have needs. I didn't want to have needs. You know, there were times, like probably the last eight years of my co competitive career as a figure skater, I hated myself every time I felt hungry. Like just the most basic needs. I was like, right. oh my God, you are so weak to mm -hmm. need that or to think you need that. But then to recalibrate and be like, wow, I think those things don't make me weak. I think maybe that's what makes me human. And I've decided that that's okay. 
with me. Yeah. And I, I want to like touch on that really quick because for anyone that's listening, you know, we talk all the time on this show about you attract what you have inside of you. So if you have beliefs about yourself, if you have shit that you haven't healed from the past, you're going to attract that into your life. And sometimes it doesn't show up like in my case, you know, having the fear of abandonment from my dad dying. I was attracting men into my life that were going to abandon me. In your case, all of that self-talk and like the lack of love that you had for yourself, you were creating your husband kind of like treating you that way and mirroring that back to you. So of course, when you start doing all the work and doing the meditation and doing the love letters, and as you said, recalibrating that love within yourself, he can then mirror that back to you when you speak up for what you need. It's a perfect example of how that works. It really is. Everything you just said, absolutely. We do. We train people on how to treat us. Yeah. We we attract exactly what we think we deserve, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like or we consciously feel we or deserve. subconsciously. Yeah. Right. And so often subconsciously, subconsciously, right? Because and listen, so I started Philadelphia's first synchronized skating program, grew it to one of the biggest in the world. Like I coached athletes on performance. Like self-talk was my game. Right. But what I didn't realize was you can think the thoughts, you can do whatever, but if underneath you really don't feel that you deserve that love and connection, mm-hmm. you're not going to get it. Right. You're not going to get it. If anything, you're going to be putting up walls in all the places where it's offered to you yeah. because it's not going to feel safe, right? Yeah. You're going to be like actually attracting the exact opposite of what you think you want. Yeah. Because yeah. then your subconscious belief can be like, see, I told you, see, I told you it's not safe. See, it's not possible. See, and you're like validating that in a really toxic way without knowing half the time. Oh, absolutely. And what we're doing when we're living on autopilot and letting that subconscious just drive our decisions mm-hmm. is really, we're looking for confirmation of the worst of ourselves. Yeah. We really are. Because our ego wants to come up against things that say, oh, yeah, see, you're not worthy of love. See, men are going to abandon you. See, because the ego is so scared, is so scared and just wants to keep us safe. It doesn't want us to open our hearts to the love that is out there and the love that is in us. That's the thing. When we're shut down like that, we don't let the love from, you know, source, God, higher power, like your true self. We don't even let that flow through to ourselves. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So when things shifted with Manny and I kept doing the work and keeping the bar high because I was 99% sure he would not be able to maintain this. And I was 100% sure I was not going back to that old paradigm where I hated myself for needing anything. I was in a new stage now. Where if I needed something, I gave it to myself right away. One of the first things I did was I made a pledge to myself. Every time I needed to go to the bathroom, I would stop whatever I was doing and go pee. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The life-changing magic of peeing when you need to pee. You know, (laughs) right? I wanted to get more in touch with my intuition and my guidance. And I was like, oh, and here I am. My body is telling me this, giving me this simple cue and I'm ignoring it for as long as possible. So really tuning in, keeping the bar really high. And it's always a work in progress, right? Like it's never ending. There are times when he slips back a little, but I hold the bar where it is. And like, I hold him accountable. I'm like, no, no, we're not doing that. Like, this is the way we talk to each other. 
This is the way we communicate. And then he'll hold the bar for me too. Mm -hmm. So it really is like the love that started to flow through me to him. Well, first flow through me to myself, right? And then to him. And then the way my relationship with my kids changed because when I was pushing down my needs and my desires so much, often that would come out sideways at at my kids. I would just Mm. scream at my kids. And I was like, what? is happening? Whose voice is this that's coming through my mouth? Like, it's almost like you're possessed. I was like, that is not the mom I want to be. That's not these words, this anger. This is not what I want to bathe my children in. Mm -hmm. I don't. But until I started tapping into that love within myself, I couldn't get any change in habit to stick with how I wanted to parent. But then it just started flowing. And like, the way I can look at my kids now, Gabrielle, like I don't even, I don't even use the word love that much. Like I look at them and I hold their faces and I go, I adore you. Like I adore you. And it just fills me up with this warmth. And then I adore myself. I adore our family. I adore our dog. Like ugh, just life can feel so much more joyful than so many of us are calibrated to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you choose yourself, that it starts with that. No matter what that looks like, whether it's I'm going to choose myself and leave my marriage because I it's not fulfilling me or I'm going to choose myself and give you know exactly what I need to my partner and allow them to raise to that bar and meet that. Like You have to choose yourself. Yes, absolutely. And being a mom and running a business and all this stuff, like there are so many signs from outside that like the sky will fall. Right. If you do that. But I feel like it's like trickle down joyonomics. Like the more selfish I get, the more selfish I get and focus on my own self care. Like for a couple of years there, I was taking the first two hours of every day in meditation, prayer, journaling. Like I had to, I had to. It was so dark. That's what I needed to do to stay here and have any chance of anything shifting. Yeah. And when I did that, then my marriage transformed. And then the happier and more selfish and more we pull like resources and time and energy towards our relationship, the happier our kids are. Totally. So, and in my DMs, so since I started sharing about this story and I have this video series called How to Keep Monogamy Hot, I get hundreds of DMs a day. And so often people will say, but what if my time with my partner takes away from time with the kids? And I'll say, please tell me more about having parents who are passionately in love and exhibiting that and exhibiting that communication and that emotional intimacy. Tell me more about how that would be bad for your kids. Right, right. Please, I'd love to hear. It just goes back to like the age old thing of fill your cup up before you fill other people's up and everybody else is going to get the best version of you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an easy thing to say. And then each of us has the responsibility to look at our own patterning and conditioning to go, wait a minute, where was I told or where did I make the assumption that I shouldn't be filled up in this way? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. like I think for a lot of us, especially perfectionists, it's like, oh, I will only work and strive and be the kind of person I want to be if, if I don't get what I want. You know, like that moving target, like setting the goals higher and higher for yourself. Right. Because the feeling of the potential for satisfaction can feel terrifying 
to a perfectionist mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, if I'm satisfied, then what will happen to me? Will I become lazy? Will I not think the way I like to think? Will I not work the way I, I really pride myself in working? Like there's, there's just so much fear right. around and it's a vicious cycle. Actually, it is. It is just, just moving the bar a little bit. Oh, maybe it's not this many followers. Maybe it's not this many book sales. Maybe it's this, maybe it's this, right? Like just ratcheting it up. So that's still sneaky. I mean, it's a constant process, right? Like just watching and being aware. And I think you can maybe relate to this too. In sharing my story and in talking to people and answering questions, really being public about what I've gone through, I feel so grateful that it's a gut check. It's like an integrity check for me every day. Like, Mm -hmm. am I really still walking the walk? Am I really still taking care of myself? Mm-hmm. The way that I've inspired my listeners or my readers to take care of them, themselves. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've called my mom in like a state and like saying like, I just don't feel good or I feel sad or I'm depressed. And she's like, are you doing the self-love cocktail? All right. Why don't you thought onion that? And I'm like, bitch, like I know what I wrote. Like, can you just let me have a day? <laughs> and she like throws it back in my face, but in the best way. And it's true. Like you have to totally check yourself to make sure you're still doing all the things that you're preaching everybody else does. I have a question just because like, obviously, like I've gone through the whole write about your life and go super fucking public about it. When you publish this book, how did the other that specific other couple or anyone else that was written about react to that? Because like, it's one thing to be like, hey, you and I had a relationship, like, I'm going to write about it. It's another thing to be like, hey, you guys are having an open marriage that you might not talk to people about and I'm going to write about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. We kept our relationship with them so private and they kept their relationship with us so private that almost nobody in our respective lives knows who the other couple was. Got it. So it's just this anonymous couple. Yeah. So it's just this anonymous couple. And the characteristics about them were changed enough that other Mm -hmm. people wouldn't be able to recognize them, but they would definitely be able to recognize themselves. Right. Did they ever read and reach out? They did not. They did not read and reach out. And actually writing about them and writing about my relationship with Jess, the wife, Mm -hmm. was a scene in Swing that I really wanted to get right, that Mm -hmm. I rewrote probably more than any other chapter. Because I wanted people to understand that in any other situation, this woman probably would have been one of my closest friends. Like she Mm. was incredible. Yeah. She was incredible. But I was so like lovesick, infatuated with her husband because of, you know, emptiness I had inside that I could not be the friend and to her that I really wish I could be. And I think one of the things in memoir, and you know, this is like, if we're going to bring other humans into the story, I think our job is to be the most inquisitive about ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, to really go in and go, okay, so I noticed these things about them, but whoa, look, look at these things inside me that I had to, that I had to work on. So one of the things that my husband was worried about, I originally started this as a screenplay and it's since been optioned for film, which was really exciting. Uh, I love that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm excited because I see it. I see it in scenes, you know? Yeah. And I think writing for TV might be the closest thing to choreography that there is in writing. Right. Right. (laughs) 
So that, totally. that's exciting. But I was going to write it as a screenplay because I thought, okay, there's no way I can admit to anybody this actually happened. The first scene in the book, we're at an invite-only sex party in New York City where we had to send in headshots and a relationship bio to get on oh the guest Oh my list. God, I cannot. <laughs> I know. And it looked like a casting call for The Bachelor, Gabrielle. Like, like everyone was so hot. So fucking hot. <laughs> so <laughs> And there's an orgy going on at the end of the loft in Manhattan. Oh okay. my God. So, I was like, I can never, ever in my whole life admit that these things happened. But then I started sharing a bit of my writing on social media and my DMs were flooded. I had a tiny, tiny following at this time, like just friends and family from way back. And people would say like, me too, me too, me too. And I was like, oh, I think people are going to see themselves in this story. Mm-hmm. And I want them to be able to put a face to the story and realize, wow, she felt really dark and hopeless. And like, I've created this life that I'm so unhappy inside. And what choices do I have? What options do I have here? Yeah, I wanted them to know it was a real person who got through it. So they would have some hope that they would get through it too. So mm. when I decided to write it as the memoir, my husband said, okay, wow, that's way different than a screenplay. Well, let me like try to get my mind around this. And he asked, what if our kids' friends aren't allowed to come to our house anymore? Like, mm. because people know we've gone to sex clubs. Right. And I said, wow, that's like a really good question. I hadn't thought of that. And then I was thinking, okay, I have three boys and they're going to grow up to be white men in America. And if I want them to understand their privilege, if I want them to understand discrimination that happens to other people and have sensitivity towards that and understanding, wouldn't that be an interesting thing if I had a book that was popular enough that sure. people knew about and then they received some sort of you know, adverse reaction from it, that would be interesting, right? Mm -hmm. But what I did a year and a half before it came out is I emailed 425 copies, like in Word documents, okay, to friends, family, my neighbors, my grandmother, my kids, friends, parents, everybody, (sighs) like cat is out of the bag. And part of this was all I ever wanted to be my whole life was a writer. All I wanted to be was a writer from the time I was nine years old. But figure skating has a way of taking over a life like a forest mm-hmm. fire. Yeah. And, you know, then I get to be like 35 and I'm like, oh, my God, like I've been on I've been on the ice six days a week for 30 years. Like what? That, this wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. So sending the book out to everybody, it was a bit of protection for me. I was like, nobody is going to rain on my parade when this book actually comes out. Like right. if you have issues, get them out now. Because I want it to be a clean vibration for me the day my book comes out. I don't want to be like, oh my God, is someone going to drop dead from a heart attack reading that? Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. Right? Yeah. I was like, cat's out of the bag. And I swear my kids, friends, parents, they like me better now. I love that. I love that. How old are your kids now? Nine, 13, and 15. Okay. So they're obviously like younger, but eventually one day they might read this book. I think about that with my kids that aren't born yet. And obviously with my partner's (laughs) daughter, have you talked to them about what the book's about? I have. My nine-year-old doesn't really have a clear idea about what it's, what it's about. He's more interested in, wait, what, what funny stories about me are in it? What funny Uh, stories aren't? Oh, I said that funny thing once. You need to write another book and put that in the next one. Right, right, right. That's where his mind's at. (sighs) So the book came out a year and a half ago. So my middle was 11. My oldest was 13. They have always known that different families make different rules and there are different kinds of setups for parents and relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have friends who have two mommies, all of that kind of thing. So what I 
had spoken to them about when I first started writing the book was like, hey, this is what monogamy means. This is what non-monogamy means. And they're like, okay, yeah, cool. And and they see so many things in pop culture and like sports right. and everything of people dating other people. Like a different time like, now. Yeah. Right. They're like, okay, yeah, like normal people, not married people. Got it. So it was actually just like about a month before the book came out. Book came out during pandemic and the cover options, it was like really down to the wire with the cover design. So I'm driving my kids to Dick's Sporting Goods mm-hmm. and a notification comes up on my phone that the cover designs have come in from my designer. So I, at a red light, I open it up and the cover designs are awful, Gabrielle. Like they were awful. Like, and this happens quite often for people with book covers, like the first few. Yeah. Yeah attempts at the cover design or like what in the world yeah <laughs> why did I even want to write a book this <laughs> designers never made anything like what's happened Pull the plug and everything. <laughs> so there was this really especially bad one where it, I it was like almost a swing era type thing with like this huge puffy hairdo and like a poodle skirt and oh um like clip art of my kids was like swinging in my hair it was like Oh, oh my, no. my God. So I passed this back and Luke, my middle one, he's like, no, mom, no, you got to tell her. Nope. Oh my God. My ear. No, this isn't happening. Nope. Nope. You oh gotta my tell God. Her, no, this, no. He, he's like, okay, this one's okay. If you took the blah, blah, blah. He was like turning into manager mode. Right. <sighs> and he says to me, and oh, and mom, why is it called swing again? And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, here we go. Here we go. And I said, all right, listen, you guys remember the difference between monogamy and non-monogamy? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, non-monogamy is sometimes called swinging. And there was a time when daddy and I thought we wanted to do that. Like we wanted to date other people in addition to being married. And we realized right away that that was super complicated and that there were things in our relationship that we'd always been ignoring that really needed our attention. And that's why daddy and I have a much different relationship than what we did when you guys were really little. And that's why Mm -hmm. we have more fun as a family. And that's why like things are so different because we did that work. And I said, you know, do you guys have any questions? And Luke said, so is she going to fix your hair on the cover? Oh my God. I cannot. (laughs) She's like, he's like priorities, mom priorities. (laughs) He's like that. You, that was just the most boring thing you ever told me. We've got a problem here. You're Uh, like, you look like a hot fucking mess on the cover. Like let's be prioritizing. (laughs) He's like, I'm um, not letting this book come out if this is what it looks like. Yeah. Oh my God. I actually, this has been such a great conversation. Just thank you for sharing all of this insight. There's so much good stuff in the things that you have said. So I can only imagine how much good stuff is in the book. I can't wait to pick it up and read it. Can you tell everybody where they can go get it, where they can find and follow you, all of the things? Yeah, absolutely. So it's Ashley Renard on Instagram and it's the Ashley with all the extra letters, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H, right? Like the longest Ashley you can get. And yeah, come, if you're listening, send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to say hi to you. I just launched the Keeping It Hot subscription box with books for the bedroom and outside the bedroom and toys and electronics for the bedroom and just things to just make make your space more sensual. Really, what I would love for everybody is to just have relationships and have a job and have joy that like everything around you like turns you on, you know, that you really feel lit up and you really feel loved and supported by yourself and the people you're in a relationship with. I mean, life can just feel so much better than I ever knew. Yes. I'm here to attest to that. 
Yes, big time. And where can they buy the book? <laughs> oh, everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, it's Swing. I also have a second book called Keeping It Hot, the workbook, which has fun exercises for communicating with your partner in and outside the bedroom. Oh my God. Amazing. I love this. I love this all so much. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing how badass you are. We so appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank Ashley so much for coming on and sharing her crazy journey through monogamy and non-monogamy with us. I know there were so many moments in that episode that I resonated with that I know you guys probably resonated with. And I just think the content that she continues to put out about how to spice up your relationships and keep monogamy hot is so important. And it's such a great topic of discussion to have openly with your partner. So I hope if you were listening to this and you were like, ooh, shit, that's me, or ooh, uh, I've felt that way, you check out her page, check out her book and her content and uh, see what you can discover about yourself or you and your partner. I love you guys. I hope you had a fun time sitting down with us two girls and uh, shooting the shit today. I will see you all next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatprayfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.